Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Brave Church Podcast, and thanks for listening. At the end of this talk, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook or Instagram, where you can get even more connected to what's going on in our community. But most importantly, we hope the following talk inspires you to take your next step in finding or following Jesus. Hey, welcome. Uh, we're so glad that you're here. And whether this is your first time or you're just checking things out, or maybe your first time in church ever, uh, we're glad that you're here. We teach through the Bible at Brave, and we're near the completion of the Gospel of Mark, and we're leading up to Easter, the journey up to Easter. And then after Easter, we're going to be in a new series in the Old Testament, the Book of Ruth. And so if you didn't get your notes on the way in, just raise your hand. They'll get those to you. We're going to pick up in Mark chapter 14, verse 43. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared, and with him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you would have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus, and when they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just ask that you would speak to each and every one of us in only the way that you can speak to our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. What's interesting about this story is that everybody is running but Jesus. The leaders are running. They're running to stop Jesus from influencing, from, from uh, the spread of the gospel and his message. The crowds are running to find and grab Jesus in the garden, and Jesus' own followers are running away from him. And then you have a young man running away naked, uh, which, which I understood. I was way more apt to do that when I was younger. Uh, not so much now. Uh, But the title of this talk is How to Stop Running. And some running is expected. You know, some running is just a part of life. We we all run for different reasons. Our youngest son, Isaac, uh, was born with cerebral palsy. And uh, when he was eight years old, uh, his leg, one of his legs, was completely twisted and his toe faced the opposite direction. And then he had uh, high toes where he would walk on, on his toes because his Achilles cord was so taut, it would draw up his heels on both of his legs. And so he would walk like this. And then he had braces on both of those legs because they cut his Achilles cord to force his heel down and the braces would hold those feet into place. And um, Isaac had a disability, but he didn't know that. And when he was eight years old, he said, hey, dad, I'd like to play little league. I want to play on a baseball team. And honestly, I, I didn't know what to do as a dad. I didn't want to squelch his enthusiasm. And um, I, I was 
I feared what might happen with the other kids and they might make fun of him. And, and so finally we decided to risk it and, and just see what would happen. And so I remember driving him to his very first baseball practice and uh, we, we pull up and all the kids are running everywhere chasing baseballs because they can't catch. They're, you know, they're eight years old, right? And, uh, like a lot like Samuel when I used to play catch with him, he couldn't catch a ball either. But, uh, you know, you throw it right at him and, you know, he'd look up at the sky and, you know, so. But Isaac cobbles out there and he's got his braces on and he comes out there and he's got his baseball mitt and his tiny little hands and he's so cute. You know what I'm saying? He's just absolutely adorable and completely vulnerable. And I was, I was filled with fear. I'll just be honest. I was like, I was thinking of all the things that could go wrong in this moment and what happens when he has to run because he can't run. So how's he going to play baseball and on and on? And am I being a bad parent because I'm putting him in this situation and what should I have done? And, and so, uh, my worst fear came through within the first few minutes of the practice. The coach, uh, blows a whistle and he has all the kids line up on the third baseline. And then he says, I want you, when I blow my whistle, I want all of you to run all the way out to the right field fence and touch it and run all the way back. And I thought, Oh no, you gotta be kidding me because I just know he can't run, right? So they're gonna take off running as fast as they can. You know, kids are like hyper, right? They're gonna be, ah, you know, running that way. And then Isaac's gonna be back here just trying to get even out of the infield, right? So sure enough, he blows the whistle. Everybody takes off and I see Isaac. Now the other kids don't see him because they're running it way out ahead. Their backs are turned and they don't know that Isaac's back there just barely able trying to get out of the infield. And I'm thinking, oh God, my worst fear. They're gonna run all the way back. They're gonna be on the third baseline. They're going to look and then they're going to be watching Isaac who's still out in the outfield, still just trying to get to the fence. And so I'm absolutely horrified. And so I'm watching this scene unfold. The kids sprint all the way out there. They touch the fence. They're running back now and Isaac's still barely going along. And I watch him and right when the kids who are running back, right when they get even with him, Isaac just does this. And he finishes right with them. And I thought, why didn't I think of that? Right? Like, that is so cool. All these years playing baseball, I could have finished first and I didn't even know it. We all run for different reasons. Isaac ran that day because he wanted to belong. He wanted to be on a team. He wanted to be a baseball player. My sister-in-law, she, she's an ultra marathon runner, which she, they run like 60K. She runs 50 miles, 55 miles, 100 mile races, literally. Uh, and my brother, who's married to her, obviously, uh, he runs the same races. They do incredible races and they run because it brings them joy. Can you imagine running 50 to 100 miles because it brings you joy? I run five to six aisles in Whole Foods because it brings me food. It motivates me, right? I can't, like, what are you doing? You know, moms and dads, you're running all the time. You're running to get kids to school. You're running to get them to practice. I was with a friend the other day. True story. He told me, he says, my two sons are playing nine different sports right now. They're on nine different teams. His 12-year-old is on five teams. His uh, 10-year-old is on four teams. And Dad is coaching five of the nine teams, running through life from one thing to the next. There's running that's just related to busyness and the craziness of life. But then there's running. There's running that's emotional and spiritual. 
It comes from a, a deeper place within us. And we run for many reasons because sometimes we're driven. Sometimes we're driven for the need for approval. And I just keep saying yes. Or the need for affection or for the respect of other people or, or status. And we run to be noticed and we, we, we run to win something or we run to get away from something. We run because if we stay, we'll have to face something, face some unresolved pain in our life. And sometimes all we want to do is to just stop running. And in this story that we just read, everyone is running except Jesus. Everyone is driven by something in this story inside of them, inside of their own hearts. And we see in this story basically three groups of people. You can write this down in your notes. There's the leaders, the crowds, and the followers. And all of them are running for different reasons, but they're the same reasons that many of us run. So if you want, write this down in your notes. Leaders run when their influence is threatened. Someone once said that it's hard for a person to understand something when their salary depends on it. The religious leaders, they saw Jesus as a threat, a threat to their money, their power, and their status. And so the leaders in this story, the priests, the teachers, and the elders, they're running scared. They're trying to stop the spread of this radical message that would end religion as they knew it. Leaders run when their influence is being threatened. The second group, the crowds, they run when they're confused and don't understand. The crowd who was probably made up of a lot of good people, had been turned into a, a mob. They're carrying clubs and, and swords. And they've been so worked up. They've been so manipulated that they now see Jesus, a healer, a teacher of love and compassion and mercy. Think about it. The most peaceful, loving guy who's ever walked on planet Earth, they now see him as an actual physical threat. Do you see how far you've got to go to get there? It's so crazy how easily well-meaning people can turn on really good people and create a false narrative. And then the last group, those closest to Jesus, his followers, they all ran away and they deserted him. Why did they run? Well, the leaders run because their influence and their way of life was threatened. The crowd runs because they're confused and they don't understand. And then Followers run when they feel at risk. Imagine it's dark. I mean, you're in a dimly lit garden, maybe a little moonlight. You're surrounded by olive trees there in the Garden of Gethsemane, and suddenly a, a crowd of people descend, and you see torches coming at you. You're not sure what's going on. It's, it's disoriented, and, and, uh, disorienting, and then you find this. The, they've got clubs. They've got swords. What would be your first impulse? You're out in the dark. I'd run, right? I'd be yelling, help. Help, help me, Jesus. I mean, Jesus, help me. I'd be yelling, Jesus. I'd be running. That's what I would do. Why do you run? What would cause you to run from Jesus? The title of this talk is How to Stop Running. And the first thing relates to why leaders run. If you want to stop running, number one, write this down. Think less about your position and more about your direction. Verse 43, Judas, one of the 12, appeared with him, was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. The leaders were running scared because they were losing influence and they felt threatened. And all they could see is what they might lose instead of what they might gain. 
A great question to ask is the direction I am headed where God is going. What's my motivation? Is it to join with what God is doing? Is it to get behind what God is doing? It's really hard to be Jesus on Monday in the marketplace unless I'm willing to give away my money and my possession and my status and my influence. What I mean is, if at the end of the day, in my heart, my motivation is I'm chasing after money and power and status, I'll be running the rest of my life. If you want to stop running, think less about your position and more about the direction that you're going. Number two, do the heavy lifting to get to the truth. Verse 48 says, Jesus says, am am I leading a rebellion? I mean, this is like a crazy moment in in this garden of chaos. Am I leading a rebellion that you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me? I mean, every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts and you did not arrest me. The crowds were confused because of the people that they listened to. And the people that they were listening to got them all stirred up to the point that they felt like that they were taking just action. They thought they were doing the right thing. The crowd in this story found it easier to pick a side than to seek the truth. It's easier to group think and to let others think for you than to be brave and seek the truth out for yourself. And so I'm so glad that you're here, that that you're saying, I want to learn for myself. I want to understand for myself. You see, a lot of times, it's easy for groups to think about beliefs and religion and politics and even relational conflict. We, We tend to go to one extreme or the other. We're either like all in and we become part of the angry crowd. Just, yeah. Or I don't want to know the truth. I I just don't want to even get involved. It's easier to either get like totally offended or just check out than do the heavy lifting of getting to the truth. And the sad thing is, is when we do this, what we're really saying is we don't value truth. I'm not brave enough to stand for truth. I'm not brave enough to discover the truth. But here's what the Bible says about the truth, the reason it's so important. The Bible says it's only the truth that'll set you free. It's only the truth that brings real peace and love and harmony and unity. It's found in living out the truth. Not your truth, not my truth, the truth. The truth is objective. And we find it in every part of our lives that when we surrender to God's way and we follow truth, we find healing and reconciliation. Crowds are so easily manipulated and they're, they're notorious for getting it wrong. Throughout history, study history, crowds always get it wrong. It's, it's hard not to be influenced when you're running with the crowd because everywhere you look, the same view is being affirmed in your crowd. A lot of people are running with this crowd to the point that they actually reject Jesus. And crowds miss the truth all the time. You you, you might find yourself in a crowd one day, or maybe you've been part of a mini crowd that missed it. You know, a friend group that missed it. You know what's so notable about Judas kissing Jesus is that it was all a show. He was pretending publicly. Sometimes what looks like affection publicly is actually deception and disrespect. You see, the kiss of Judas was a normal greeting in that day. It was something that you would give to a great or respected teacher. You would 
teach, kiss them on the hand in deference or respect to them. Or you would kiss them on the cheek if you considered the person your equal. Judas kissed Jesus on the cheek. And there, hidden in this public action, is his heart being revealed. He's been secretly working to undermine who Jesus is in his life and the life of others. He convinced others to see things the way he saw them. And so people who had been listening to Jesus and hearing his teaching for themselves, Judas now persuades the crowd to turn on Jesus. They used to run after Jesus because they were so interested in his teaching and what he had to say, but now all they want to do is arrest him. And they're running from everything that Jesus stood for. To betray a trusted leader in your heart, you have to make a notable shift. You have to begin in your own heart, in the secret places of your heart, to begin to minimize and disrespect openly your leader. On the outside, Judas wants everything to appear like everything's okay and I'm a great guy. Have you ever wondered why it is that people who betray others publicly still crave the approval of others, still want to look good in everybody's eyes and in the crowd, even after they've done wrong? They'll kiss you on the face and betray you to your back. If you want to stop running with the crowd, do the heavy lifting of getting to the truth. It'll set you free. What's really going on? What's really going on at the heart level, beneath the surface, beneath the kiss, beneath all the words that are kind of like sounding brass and tinkling cymbal, what's really going on? Most often when people present something, it's not really, you know, the presenting problem is not usually the real problem. There's something unaddressed in the heart. So what about your faith? Would you consider it real? Does it, does it look real on the outside in the way that you're behaving publicly, but on the inside, are you running from Jesus? Today, you can stop running. Think less about your position and more about your direction and do the heavy lifting to get to the truth. And then number three, when fear comes knocking, love opens the door. It says in verse 50, then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. The followers that night, they panicked because they're fearing for their lives. Now, what I want to know is, what was Mark doing that night, running around in his underwear in a garden? I don't know. So whether you're a leader or you're part of the crowd or you're a follower of Jesus, or you're a young guy running around naked and confused. I don't know if he'd been drinking. I don't know what was going on. I do know it was Mark, and he's referring to this young guy, which is kind of weird too. But anyway, fear just makes people run. It makes people do crazy things. Bo and Stacy Fisher, they attend Brave, and they have a remarkable story. Uh, what it really looks like when you're facing your fears but then you open the door out of love. And I have a picture here. Uh, this man in this picture, uh, he, his name is John. They call him Big John. He's 6'5". He's 300 pounds plus. He's a violent man that has spent more years of his life in prison than out. So when a mutual friend asked the Fishers to take him into their home, that was not an easy decision. The Fishers had three small children, two boys, seven and eight, and a girl who's five years of age, 
and the mom, Stacy, homeschools. So how's that going to work? You, you have a huge man, an ex-con, moving into your home to live with you. And Stacy said that she, you know, she prayed about it. She just felt like that God is saying, this guy is so important and you need to help him. There's something special. But they didn't open the door of their home right away. Uh, they started to have him over to kind of do family projects and just kind of slowly get acquainted. But Big John asked for help. He was absolutely desperate. He was living out of his car over in Richmond and he was willing to do anything. He had just accepted Christ while he was in prison right before he got out. And now he was very afraid. He was afraid that he was going to get pulled back into the same old way of life. He had been out of prison for only four months when the Fisher family brought him into their home. They didn't know even why he had been in prison most of his entire life. But God kept prompting them through love to open the door of their home. And on the eve of the final decision, Bo said to Stacy, you know what, I, I really believe you're right. I believe this is the right thing for us to do. But I, I also want you to know, if I wake up in the middle of the night and this 6'5", 300-pound man has his hands around my throat, I'm going to fight for my life. I'm going to fight for my family. I'm going to give it everything I've got, but I will probably lose that fight. He was facing a real concern, a legitimate fear, if you will. Stacy, her fear was different as a mom. It's, I'm opening up my home to an ex-con and I'm exposing our small children to him and, and how's this going to work, Right. And so they opened up their home with some requirements that you must have dinner with our family every night. You must meet with me as a man one-to-one and, and be mentored. You must attend church weekly, and you can never be home alone with my kids or my wife. Well, Big John moved in after only four months of being out of prison, moved into their family and into their home, and he ended up living with them for nearly two years. They gave him a car. They helped his family reconcile. They, they helped him start a business. And by the time that Big John moved out, his life had so radically turned around that he was now deemed a fit father and he was given full custody of all three of his children. And yeah. And with their help, he started a coffee roasting business that was actually... Uh, here serving us coffee last Sunday at Brave called Big House Beans, named after the big house. So Big John is the, is the owner, and he, you know what he does now? He hires people uh, that are called job stoppers, meaning they have tattoos on their face or places that make them unhirable. He hires them. And so what I want to show you, I want you to picture where this man came from, and I want to show you his wedding day with his children, his new wife, and the Fisher family. Check out this picture. Look, look at what love can do. Look at what happens when love overcomes fear, human fear. Look at the power of love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, it says, There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Love is stronger than fear. How do you stop running from fear? It's by choosing to love. And I, and I wonder what fear you're facing 
that God could turn into a beautiful story of love for you. If you think about it, fear and love are the two most common forces at work in all of our lives on any given day. Fear, it, it, it's dark, it's, it's negative, it's evil, it's the worst case scenario. And love, it's light, it, it has no fear. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, the life. He says, I am the light, I am the path. Jesus said, I stand at the door of your heart and I'm knocking. And if you'll listen, if you'll listen to the voice of love and if you'll open the door to your heart, I'll come in. And when we let love and light in, fear leaves. Now, most of us, what we fear falls into one of two categories, fear of inadequacy or fear of loss. I'm going to lose something. I've, I've got to make more money and I've got to keep more money and I can't give my money away. I've got to hang on to it with greed. I have a fear of not having enough. Or I must make myself more beautiful so that they will love me. And maybe I'll get that job if I look more beautiful. We run from a fear that we're not going to live up to the expectations of others of what they've placed on us. I'm afraid that others will look down on me because I'm overweight and so I feel self-conscious and it affects how I relate to other people or I have blemishes on my face or my hair's falling out and I'm so embarrassed. I have fear of not being accepted. Or, or I run from a tight-knit community of love and relationships where I have meaningful friendships. I run because I fear that they're going to find out who I really am, that aspects of my life are eventually going to come out and, and they're going to reject me. Or if people only knew, if they only knew the thoughts that are going through my head, I, I can't serve at Brave or do anything because you, you don't know how I think. You don't know what's going on in my heart. Consider all the fears that may be running your life right now, the betrayal of a loved one, the, the loss of honor or respect. I fear the loss of security or income, or I fear my health is going to be ruined. A lot of people, it's so strange that have perfectly good health and they fear their whole lives that they're going to become sick in some way, or the fear of the loss of love. In John chapter 5, verse 22 and 45, it says this, Father God judges no one. And then Jesus says, do not think I will accuse you before the Father. The most famous passage on love of all time that's read at most weddings is 1 Corinthians 13. It says, love keeps no record of wrong. Jesus was the only one that was not running on that fearful night. Because God is love. God was standing there among them that night in the middle of all the fears that they were facing, just like he is right now in your life. He's right here with you. What are the fears? What's the anxiety? Where's it coming from? Jesus is with you. Why did Jesus not run? He didn't run because he had a greater motivation. He had a purpose that arrested his life. And that was love, to love everyone. And when you're running around and you're talking negative about people, that's just your fear, your own pride, your own insecurity. I want to look good like Judas in public, whatever that is. It's just fear. It comes in all different forms. Ask yourself, why am I acting this way? Why am I headed in that direction? What do my choices and my actions truly say about me? 
Fear says run. And love, love says stay. Be still and know that I am God. Love says, I just want to talk. I want to help you heal. Love says, I'm not going to run away from you. I'm going to seek the truth. I'm going, to, I'm going to find God's direction in all of this, and I'm going to follow him. And when fear comes knocking, love just opens the door to a whole new world. You see, the kingdom of this world is fear. That's the ecosystem. You want to know why you have anxiety and depression and all the things that we all deal with and struggle with in this world? The literal atmosphere of this world is filled with fear, all kinds of fear, messages. Every day we're bombarded with messages of fear. The kingdom of heaven is love. Think about these two kingdoms are clashing in your mind and in your heart every day. On Monday, just become aware. Later this afternoon, become aware of the voice of fear and the voice of love. Will I run in fear or will I stay in love? Love allows you to see your life and your world differently, to see and to react and respond differently. Let your heart be filled with love instead of fear. And if you want to stop running, change your life. And if you want to change your life, you have to go to the most important place on earth. The most important place on earth is inside your own heart. What goes on inside of your heart is the most important thing about you. And Jesus taught us these words. He said, the greatest command of all is love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus never ran that night. And he never runs from you and I. He's knocking at the door of your heart. He's saying, I'm here. Turn to me. Turn to love. Turn away from fear. Stand in love. Live in love. Let me love you. Let me help you. And even when you have to be brave, my love is greater. Would you bow your heads with me? And if you wouldn't mind just to close your eyes out of reverence to those that are around you. Are you here today and, and you just feel this moment of like Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart? And there's something inside of your heart that says, I want to make peace with God. I want to open the door of my heart. I want to let him into my life. I want to begin to trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to receive forgiveness of sin and all the things that I fear. I want to receive his love. And if that's you here today, I'm not going to have you stand or come forward, but just right where you're sitting, if you want to receive Jesus Christ into your heart, just raise up your hand and say, yeah, that's me. If you want to do that, that's great. That's great. That's great. Hands all over. That's wonderful. You can put your hands down. Thank you. I'm going to pray for you. And we're going to make this prayer, all of us, this prayer, our own prayer. If you raise your hand, Lord Jesus, I sense you knocking at the door of my heart. I came here for a reason today. I see it now. And I just want to open up the door of my heart and let your love fill my heart. And I want, I want the fears to, to go. I don't want to live a life filled with fear. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. And I place my trust in your death and your resurrection on the cross that you came for me. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Bay Area, we would love for you to join us at a Sunday gathering in San Ramon. For directions, gathering times, or information about our Brave Kids program, visit us at brave.church. Also, if you want to help support what God is doing through Brave, you can give online to the Brave Foundation at brave.church forward slash foundation.